This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. Just how bad is the situation in Ontario's long-term care homes? A week ago yesterday, the province's own commission into LTC unexpectedly released interim recommendations because commission members are worried that we are not prepared for a second wave of COVID-19 in nursing homes and headed for another disaster. There are more than 80 long-term care homes in outbreak, with some 420 residents and 280 staff having tested positive since the beginning of September, when there were just five homes in outbreak. Long-term care minister Marilee Fullerton says you can't snap your fingers and find qualified staff. While a statement from the Registered Nurses Association says they have plenty of people available to work. This past week, NDP leader Andrea Horvath called for Dr. Fullerton to resign her post as long-term care minister. Not a surprising development for Fightback's Zoomer squad. Libby Snymer was joined on Monday by Bill Van Gorder, Acting Chief Policy Officer at CARP, David Kravitz, Vice President at Zoomer Media, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. The NDP leader is calling for her ouster, and, um, you know, the pressure's growing, and if this second wave develops like the first wave did, I, I, I don't see how she survives her job, but... Again, I, I didn't think she'd last the week, and she did. So I've I've been wrong before, and perhaps she will last. But but I I think the pressure is getting too much, and she'll either just resign or uh, Ford will have to do pull the trigger. Well, either way, uh, it's it's a resignation. I mean, I you know honestly, uh, a lot of people are surprised that she's lasted this long. Uh, David, what's your view? I have a uh, with no inside knowledge, zero, probably less understanding of it than Peter does. But I have a counterpoint of view, and that is if they let her go, that is to acknowledge that there was stuff that she could have done and they could have done that they didn't do, as opposed to the narrative that they're pushing, which is we inherited this mess. Uh, All kinds of things were wrong with the long-term care system, even without COVID-19. Now along comes COVID-19. We're doing what we can. It'll get better. Um, that's the narrative. So if she walks the plank either forcibly or or not, they're conceding that yeah, you know, there was lots that we could have done, and she was uh, she messed up in her job. And I don't I don't see what advantage there is to them um, creating that narrative. So I think they're going to do it whatever they can to circle the wagons. It may not be enough, but I don't think they're going to want to uh, uh, see her go. Well, conversely, David, they could they could just tie it all on her and, uh, you know, let her be the scapegoat for it. And well, then... but I'd love that if I'm Andrea Horvath. I mean, you mean to tell me, Mr. Premier, that all during this time you were willing to allow this incompetent minister to stay in her post knowing that people were dying? And and don't forget that he was he was out there front and center talking about how horrified he was, and his mother in law yeah. and yeah. and how no stone was unturned. Unturned. So uh, he's got to 
wear some of it, but um, I mean, I, you know, you're, you're both right. Uh, you know, it's, it's something that all governments do. They blame the government that came before. And she is right that there was years of neglect. But I guess, Bill, one of the questions, how, how long can you, can you get away with, uh, with that? Well, that's exactly what our CARP members are, are asking. It's been six months. Uh, or more, uh, and the system hasn't changed. And the, the commission report underlined the fact that nothing much has uh, uh, changed. It, oh, you can't snap your uh, uh, fingers to, to make it happen, but it's been months. Uh, and even this, even this commission that we're talking about now, I mean, it, it uh, announced last May, created in July, uh, made his plans to start meeting in September, and they're not even delivering a report uh, until April 30th, uh, 2021, unless we get some interim ones like we just had uh, last week. Somebody is doing too little too late, and and either the government as a whole is going to take is going to take the can for it, or uh, uh, some individual uh, like uh, the minister is going to have to bite the dust. You know what? I was heartened that the commission members were saying they're ready to put themselves out of the business. They said, we don't need any more study of this. Do something. I mean, I, I thought that whole thing, because that was really very unexpected, that they made these recommendations. And of course, they recommended something that has been recommended by advocates for years, and that is that you need staffing at a level where every resident gets four hours of care a day. Yeah, I was really surprised to to see that there is no standard of uh, minimum care. They're recommending uh, four hours uh, a day. So I went back to look to see what the current is, and there's there's no standard at all. They just leave that up to the uh, local management to decide what the standard of care should be. Unbelievable. Bill Van Gorder, Acting Chief Policy Officer at CARP, David Kravitz, Vice President at Zoomer Media, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. Fight Back's Monday Zoomer Squad. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Ontario cancer doctors are sounding an alarm over a rise in advanced cancer patients. And some are blaming the shutdown of non-urgent health care services this past spring. During the COVID-19 lockdown, the provincial PCs stopped screening for conditions such as breast, colorectal and cervical cancers. And surgeries that were not deemed urgent were postponed or cancelled. Now, cancer specialists report there are more patients with severe symptoms and they require longer hospital care with more intense surgery and experience poor treatment conditions and outcomes. To discuss this important issue for Zoomers, Libby was joined by Dr. Samantha Hill, president of the Ontario Medical Association, and Dr. Sam Alfasi, gastroenterologist at Unity Health Toronto. I think we're very fortunate uh, at Unity Health where we didn't go into a complete lockdown uh, like some of the other hospitals around uh, the city and the province. So we kept doing some very urgent cases, which sort of helped our situation a little bit more. But, you know, when we really started ramping up uh, closer to June and into the summertime, you know, I think then we started getting the flood of these patients where, 
you know, they, they were already waiting for their procedures to be done from uh, March, April, and May, and they got uh, continuously pushed along the line. And then, you know, that flood sort of came through and almost it felt like every day we're diagnosing uh, cancers or very advanced uh, polyps and growths, things that, uh, you know, the concentration of it we, we never really saw before. So, you know, we're finally working through that right now, but that was sort of our, our uh, you know, our reality throughout the summertime and early spring, that's uh, our early fall. And, and sorry, were the cases that you were seeing, were they more advanced than they would have been under normal circumstances? Yeah, it's, that, I think that it's always a tough question. Uh, you know, I think the, just looking at the literature, about half of cases when we diagnose someone with colon cancer is going to be uh, stage three and four, more advanced. So as soon as we start finding these cancers, you know, they're often quite advanced. And, you know, our worry very much is not only are the cancers that we're missing and maybe they're becoming more advanced over the months that everything is getting delayed, but it's a lot of the patients that aren't getting their preventative testing and symptom screening and we're not catching things even earlier when they should be done. And that was sort of you know, part of the reason why I sort of spoke up about the issue. Okay. Uh, Dr. Hill, what have you been experiencing with your patients and other GPs? Right. Right. So I'm a cardiac surgeon and we're over a thousand cardiac surgeries behind where we were last year at this time. Um, and I can speak to that. But I think as president of the OMA, it's more relevant if I speak to the fact that we've been calling on people to acknowledge that this is going to be a problem since April, even when this decision was made. Now, the government had to pause some services in order to ensure we had the bandwidth to deal with a possible Milan or New York-like scenario, and that was totally appropriate. But we started with a system that was already backlogged. We started with a system that was already stressed. And then we added this new acute backlog, and then we lost some physicians over the course of the last few months, unfortunately. And now we're working in conditions where it's almost impossible to even work at the same speed as we were working pre-COVID because of the precautions that need to be in place to protect each other from COVID. And so we're trying to, everyone uses the word catch up on a backlog, but really we're just trying not to fall any further behind. And we know that all of these preventative care Things that we do, all of these screening tests, all of whether it's, you know, colonoscopy for colon cancer or cervical cancer screening, we do them because they work. We do them because there's evidence that shows that when we screen enough people, we catch people with the disease process earlier and they have better outcomes. And so as those numbers drop, and they've dropped dramatically this year, we are by definition going to be having those patients present later. And we're going to be seeing care that is harder for the people. And it's also a lot harder on the system. And right now, frankly, we just can't afford anything that's harder. So we really need to get in front of this as much as we can. Dr. Hill, uh, do you find that in addition to the backlogs, you've got to be convincing your patients, don't put this off? Absolutely. And so I'll echo Dr. Elfassi. Um, Really, the message to the Ontarians today is your doctor is in and your doctor cares about you. Your doctor is here for you. Early detection, as I mentioned earlier, is really crucial. And Ontario doctors are in their offices, whether it's hospital-based or whether it's clinic-based, and they're here to provide patient-focused care. And the last thing we need for anyone is to have a small problem go into larger health concern. Where are we at or what do we need to see to fix this? The key message is if you are having symptoms, make sure you seek out your uh, physician. That might be your family physician or if you already have a specialist. Don't sit on your symptoms. Don't wait. Don't be afraid to get your testing done because of COVID. Uh, otherwise, you know, we don't want further complications down the road and we're here to, we're here to provide care. 
Dr. Sam Alfasi, gastroenterologist at Unity Health Toronto, and Dr. Samantha Hill, president of the Ontario Medical Association. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, the Trudeau Liberals win their Toronto by-elections, but not in overwhelming fashion. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. On Monday, the Trudeau Liberals squeaked out wins in two Toronto by-elections in traditional Liberal strongholds. Broadcaster Marcy Ian won Toronto Centre over Green Party leader Annamie Paul, who gave Ian some tough competition. And in York Centre, Yara Sachs edged out the Conservative candidate by just 700 votes. Is this a strong message to the minority Liberals in Ottawa or just a reflection of the local scene? Libby Snymer asked that question of our Tuesday strategy panelists, Liberal Charles Byrd, Managing Principal of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group in Toronto, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, and Conservative John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner of Fleischmann Hillard High Road. I congratulate my my friend uh, Charles for the uh, for the win, but uh, uh, not ex- not unexpected. They're both, uh, you know, especially the one in Toronto, the Toronto um, Center. Uh, riding has has been liberal for forever, uh, so there was no mu- not much surprise there. Other than the Green Party leader, I thought did extremely well, and and it would have been great to have her uh, in the in the parliament uh, had she won. But she came up with thirty two percent, I think, of, of the popular yep. vote, which which is relatively close uh, in, in that riding for the Green Party. So that was a testament to her, uh, certainly, and and how impressive she is uh, with respect to. Uh, you know, winning the leadership of the Green Party and, and some of the statements that she's made since then. Um, the the York Center by election was a bit more of a of a of a nail biter for uh, for the Liberals. That one there, they of course they they they, they kept that one, but the Conservative came uh, within about six or seven points uh, of of almost toppling the Liberal, which I think shows that you know there's not that much. You know, there might be some disenchantment with the with the Liberals, especially when it comes to four one six writings, where you know, by and large, the the Liberals have a, have a stronghold. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, you're talking about Toronto Centre, and and if you want to speak about it, an embarrassment of riches, you had two extremely strong, extremely appealing black women candidates, Marcy Ian, who won for the Liberals, in addition to being backed by the Liberals. I mean, she's been a broadcaster for many years, so on in terms of name recognition alone, she would be way ahead there, right, Karen? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I do think it's a credit to the Green Party that they were able to put yeah. uh, forward the uh, result that they got, to be candid. And, um, you know, I think there's no question different dynamics going on in the different ridings and that it was really a green push to get out the vote as to the degree possible and in circumstances that are hard to campaign, to be candid. And, um, you know, I think that um, that there's no question that Toronto Centre is one of the safest Liberal seats probably in the country, so to have such a strong showing by the Green Party, I think, is a victory for the Green Party, for sure. And York Centre, I think, was a different dynamic in that um, that I think that, that, that those close results by the Conservatives are actually something Liberals, I think, need to pay attention to, because um, the fellow who, who left that seat 
uh, Michael Levitt, he won by, what, 13.5% on the last election. And this election is much, much closer. And so it, um, I think it is something liberals should be paying attention to. Uh, Charles, is it something that the liberals should be paying attention to? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Although the by-elections are a little bit odd um, in as much as in Toronto Centre, the turnout was barely 30% of uh, eligible voters. And in York Centre, the turnout was barely 25%. Yeah. Um, in, in Toronto Centre, um, Marcy Ian and Anna-Marie Paul, the newly elected leader of the Anna-Marie. Green Party... Uh, yeah, I've never been able to pronounce that name, sorry. Um, between them, they got 75% of the total vote, more than 75%, whereas the, the Conservative candidate came finished with less than 6%. And, and there's a reason for that. The Conservatives really devoted all of their resources to York Centre, because in a by-election, the whole name of the game is to get out your vote, identify your vote, and get it out. So rather than a referendum on how Justin Trudeau is doing as Aaron O'Toole inexplicably tried to frame it in the face of two by-election losses, um, it really was it was a testament to, to the ground game. And, you know, the Liberals had to fight two campaigns. The Conservatives focused all their attention in New York Centre. And the Conservative candidate um, actually got less than the Conservatives did in 2015. Um, which was when uh, Michael Levitt was first elected in York Centre, the previous MP. So um, the other interesting sideline from York Centre is, of course, Maxime Bernier, yeah. Uh, yeah. who was who was there. Spoiler, and for and for much of the night, um, a lot of conservative commentators were just out of their minds with regards to the thought that Maxime would ultimately split the vote, allowing the Liberal to go up the middle. The final results, um, Maxime's vote total didn't make a difference. Yeah. Uh, the Liberals won uh, with sufficient support to uh, well, make his vote irrelevant. Seven, but it'll be interesting to see going forward how the People's Party of Canada um, and Maxime Bernier do impact um, conservative fortunes and, and maybe force Aaron O'Toole to veer further to the right. Charles Byrd, Karen Stintz, and John Capobianco, Fightback's Tuesday strategy panel. This is the best of Fightback on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. We learned early this past week restrictions are being extended in Quebec for that province's COVID-19 red zones until at least November 23rd. Premier Francois Legault justified the decision, saying that 28 days has not been enough to effectively fight the spread of the virus. Is this the strategy Premier Doug Ford should take in Ontario's COVID-19 hotspots? Dr. Barry Pakes is an infectious disease expert and professor at the University of Toronto's Dalla Lana School of Public Health. He joined Libby on Tuesday to discuss next steps. It's always difficult to... Uh, you know, predict the future, certainly. But I think that the premier is taking the advice for the most part of the local medical officers of health, who are the people who really know on the ground where transmission is happening. Um, and and we've achieved, we're in a good place. Um, I, I don't think it's it's about achieving a balance all the time. It's really about looking at the data and looking at, you know, the overall population dynamics, the politics and all of that uh, to figure out where we should go in terms of next steps. So I think we're we're in a reasonably good place, but like always, really very tenuous. 
the word is that the hospitals are full. Last time, and I think it was recognized as perhaps a mistake, the province did everything to clear space in the hospitals. They put a lot of extra people in long-term care, and we know how that turned out. Uh, they are not doing that this time, but now apparently hospitals are full or close to being full, and we have we have an alternate level of care patients, patients who need to go into a nursing home, but don't have a slot. And uh, we have just started to resume necessary surgeries, and those are apparently in jeopardy. Yeah, that's true. And and North York General Hospital just made some announcements with respect to uh, elective surgeries. You know, it's really difficult to know, um, you know, when we should back off on some of these things to create extra capacity. And when you do that prematurely, or when you do that, you know, appropriately, and then that capacity doesn't get used, you know, some might say you made the wrong decision, but it's really difficult in public health. You know, you're either too early or too late. And if you're right in the middle and you've done the right thing, it's hard to know exactly what you did right. We, there's no question that, that when we saw cases increasing four weeks ago and then, you know, hit a couple new milestones two weeks ago, we can expect hospitalizations and ICU admissions to follow that by about two, three, four weeks. And that's where we are right now. Um, and it's really just that modeling and figuring out where we're heading uh, in terms of the uh, the need for hospitals to dial back on their surgeries and and, and other procedures. And, and obviously, they really don't want to do that. At this point, people really need those services, but we cannot have a situation where our hospitals are overwhelmed because people really will suffer as a result. And how do you see the situation with the hospitals? Are you worried at the level of, of occupancy there is now? Uh, I mean, the reality is that our hospitals uh, in Ontario are always over capacity, COVID or no COVID. Um, and, and that's just, you know, the reality of the fact that we haven't invested in increasing the number of beds per population. And as our population has grown and aged, you know, that's, that's trended quite significantly downward. So we're starting in a place where we're really behind the eight ball. Um, and so, you know, what hospitals have done, triaging and, and uh, you know, really shortening stays as much as possible is, is absolutely the right thing. Um, and we're we're in a cautiously, you know, worrisome spot. I think, you know, we're not overwhelmed right now, but everybody in the hospital sector is just looking for the next day and the next day, feeling what, what is going to come in the door. Now, we've also heard about outbreaks in long-term care. And we now have 86 nursing homes in outbreak. Are you convinced that we're not going to see a repeat of what we had last spring, which was absolute utter terrible devastation death absolutely i mean that's something we all worry about i think you know in every aspect of this pandemic and its response i think we have learned a lot over the past seven months so i don't see you know the overwhelming number of deaths that are going to occur in in long-term care facilities i think every every long-term care facility that has a case and certainly those that have more than one case where there's transmission within the facility are really taking the steps they need to with the resources that they have and, you know, similar to in, in the hospital sector, long-term care sector, even more so, you know, it's been understaffed and, and we've known that and there have been reports on that for quite some time. And now when we've restricted where people can, you know, where the, where the nurses and PSWs and others uh, can work in terms of going between uh, facilities um, and, and, you know, some people are going to be on sick leave or in quarantine, you know, we're restricting those, those resources even further. And it's not surprising that it's a challenge for everyone. But, uh, you know, we've learned a lot. And I think they're doing uh, a, a good job. And um, we'll, we'll just have to see everyone's just got to, you know, every once in a while, remind ourselves that we have to be absolutely vigilant with every phase that we're faced with.
Dr. Barry Pakes, infectious disease expert and professor at the University of Toronto's Dalla School of Public Health. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Murray in Malton phoned with a suggestion to improve conditions in long-term care. They have to uh, have a health department come in and inspect, and I'd imagine that's just for the kitchen. But what if the, the inspector on the, the the care side of it posts all the violations on, on the window and uh, the home has to keep it there, and then anybody looking for a home would be able to see what kind of violations that uh, nursing home had. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Barbara in Etobicoke, who phoned to pass along what her pharmacist told her when she went in for her flu shot. I did ask her how the dosages were going. They felt they were going to be out of them. They just gotten them yesterday morning, that they would be out of them by uh, yesterday evening. Um, and it was one of the few pharmacies that I that I had contacted that actually got both of them in. So I ended up getting the high-dose one. As it was explained to me, the regular one um, protects you against four strains. The high-dose one protects you against three, but is double intensity. And I had a bit of concern about that, but the pharmacist explained to me that if you have autoimmune disorders, so that could be anything from high blood pressure, kidney disease, even arthritis, they're recommending strongly uh, the high-dose one because the A virus is in that particular dosage, and that's the one that apparently has a more significant impact on those that are over 65 and in, in getting ill and recovering from the flu. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby. And have your say anytime on our Fight Back voicemail at 416-367-9636. That's 416 416- 367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.